Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 13, verses 22 through 30. We're continuing through the book of Luke, and today we are coming to this account of Jesus answering a question. God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word says, He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word to us this morning. When I was in high school, one of my favorite subjects was English grammar. For some reason, I enjoyed learning to identify the the parts and figures of speech uh, in the English language. And I think it appealed to the part of me that likes to solve puzzles and and riddles and analyze things. Well, we have a figure of speech before us today, namely a metaphor. A metaphor is a, a word picture a thing regarded as a representative or symbolic of something else, especially something abstract, like my love is a red, red rose, as William Shakespeare wrote. That's a metaphor. Love is the abstract. A rose symbolizes that. I'm not exactly sure how, but it does. Read the poem and he'll explain it to you. Well, Jesus is using a metaphor today when he says, strive to enter through the narrow door. Now, Jesus isn't referring to a literal door. He's, a, he's painting a picture with his words. Now, imagine it in your mind's eye, this picture that Jesus is painting. You have a, a house, and the only entrance to the house is one narrow door. Inside the house, many people are, are reclining at a table, and they're having a feast. But outside the house, there's a group of people who have gathered around the door. And each one is knocking in turn. They want to join the feast, but the door is locked. And their inquiry to enter is met with a refusal of entrance. They can see the people laughing and eating the richest of foods and drinking the finest wines through the windows. Perhaps some of them even have their... Faces pressed to the glass. Well, when we first moved to England back in 2001, our children were younger then, we lived at the end of a cul-de-sac 
uh, along with numerous other families with children. And our children would obviously go out and they could play freely on that end of that cul-de-sac in safety. And they made lots of friends there. Well, it was common for English families to feed their children when they came home from school around 4 o'clock or so. And then the adults would eat later. We followed our custom of eating around 6 o'clock as a family around the table. Well, the house we lived in had a a bay window in the front, and then you could look straight through the den, and then straight through was the dining area. So we would call our children in uh, to eat dinner, and of course the other children remained outside playing. And many evenings as we sat around the table eating our evening meal, a few small faces would come up to that bay window and stare at us as we ate, wondering, what, what were we doing? Well, obviously these children, they didn't want to come into our feast. They wanted our children to go out so they could play again. And they were counting those moments until, until they could go back out and play. However, Jesus here paints a picture of people who desire to go in to join the feast. But it's too late. The opportunity to join the feast had passed. And it is a sad picture that Jesus paints for us here. Well, what does it mean? Well, I want to break it down into three components this morning. First, I want to look at the narrow door in this picture of this house. The narrow door first. Then the people on the outside desiring to enter. And then we'll look at the people on the inside who are feasting. First, the narrow door. And the, the, the first point is, who is the narrow door? Not what is the narrow door, but who is the narrow door? And many of you probably understand what I'm talking about. Well, Jesus says in verse 24, strive to enter through the narrow door. He says this in response to a question that he has asked. And it is important that we understand the question that is asked that prompts Jesus' response. Someone asks, Jesus, Lord, will those who are saved be few? It's a question about salvation. Saved. Who will God save and who will be doomed? Who will be numbered among the people of God and will it be a small number? Well, we can deduce from Jesus' answer that this person was not really asking a theological question. This is one of those questions people ask when they want confirmation or denial of something they already believe to be true. For example, a husband comes into the kitchen and sees his wife cooking a wonderful meal, and he smells all the wonderful smells, and he asks, we are having that for dinner, aren't we? Now, he knows that's probably the case. He just wants confirmation of something that he already believes to be true. When I first wrote the sermon, I had the opposite question. Uh, I, I I wrote, we're not having that for dinner, are we? That's not a good question to ask your wife, by the way. But there's an anticipation that, yes, it's true, and I'm asking for confirmation. That's what this person is doing when he asks, Lord, will those who are saved be few? That person that asked the question is seeking confirmation from Jesus that, yes, indeed, that is the case. Only a few will be saved because that is what the people of Israel thought in those days. They believed that all Israel would be saved, except, of course, for a few bad apples in the barrel. People who were blatant sinners 
who excluded themselves. And this is seen in the writings of the rabbis of the day. Practically, all Israel would be saved, but the sinners and, and certainly all the Gentiles and Samaritans would be on the outside looking in. They weren't God's chosen. And because the nation of Israel was small, that constitutes a small number. So, Jesus, is it true that a few will be saved? See, the question the person was really asking was, we're, we're Israelites, so we're good, right, Jesus? We're all good, we're safe. Well, Jesus doesn't answer the question directly. Rather, he answers their presumption. They are being presumptuous about their spiritual standing before God. They presume that they are right with God just by, by the virtue of being Israelites. And they want he wants confirmation of that, or she wants confirmation of that. Well, look at all that Luke has been recording for us here in chapter 13. We could go back even further than that. Jesus has been speaking to them about repentance here in chapter 13, bearing fruit. He tells a little parable about the fig tree, warning them against hypocrisy when he heals the woman. But see, the people aren't listening. All these people who are gathered, listening to Jesus' teaching, aren't really hearing what Jesus is saying. And that's why Jesus says, strive to enter through the narrow door. See, the narrow door is Jesus himself. It is only through Him that a person can enter the kingdom of God. It has nothing to do with your ancestry. It has nothing to do with your race, your religious performance, or your personal morality. To be in the kingdom of God, one must, you must, recognize that you are a sinner in need of someone to save you, or God will reject you. God will exclude you from His kingdom. You must recognize that you cannot save yourself by your morality or by your Christian heritage or your church attendance. You must recognize that you need mercy. You need a Savior, someone to step in and do for you what you could never do. And there's only one Savior. That is Jesus, the narrow door, only one way in. Only through putting your life and eternity in His hands. Strive to enter that narrow door through Jesus. The word strive in the Greek is agonizomai. We get our word agonize from it. The word came from the word agon, which means stadium. And it's a word that means, agonizomai, means to contend for a prize. It's what an athlete does, and that's what the word was most often used uh, in reference to. Athletics, competing. It's what an athlete does when he or she competes in the games. The athlete makes every effort to win, strives, contends, and battles to the end, gives it his or her all in the contest. Many of you will remember, perhaps, the British sprinter Derek Redmond in the 1992 Olympics. You may not remember the name, but most of you will remember the scene because it was such a glorious, moving scene. 
In his semi semifinal heat of the 400-meter sprint, he was the favorite to win that heat and move on to the finals. You think about these Olympians. They spend years training to reach the pinnacle of their sport, which is the Olympics, and he was one of the, the better ones in the world. Well, he was running his heat, and he was looking strong when suddenly he pulls up. He had torn his hamstring. And rather than crumble to the ground like I would have done, he continued hobbling toward the finish line. He was determined to finish the race any way he could, and he was in excruciating pain. Well, surprisingly, he didn't have to finish the race alone. His father, Jim Redmond, ran from the stands and brushed off security, and he joined his son there on the back stretch of the, of the race and put his arm around him and held him up, and they finished that race together. It's quite a moving moment in Olympic history. You see, Derek Redmond was determined, and he strove to finish that race. He agonizomide in that race. He gave every effort. And that's what Jesus is saying. Strive to enter through the narrow door. Now this does not imply that we're saved by our hard work. Because we are saved by grace when we trust in Jesus Christ. We don't strive to earn our salvation by our morality or our religion. Rather, we strive to enter through the narrow door. We strive to put our faith in Jesus every day. Daily we seek to, to put away all dependence on our self-effort and put all our trust in Christ's finished work for us. Are you living by faith in Jesus every day? Or have you fallen into an easy, complacent, and theoretical attitude toward the eternal destiny of your soul? See, if we, if we fail to take salvation seriously, we may find the door shut on us. Don't presume that you're okay with the Lord. Rather, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. See, salvation is God's work in you, but we need to work it out to make sure that we're putting our faith in the right place, not in ourselves, but in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have this tendency to start thinking, yes, I'm doing pretty good here. I'm doing it, and God must be pleased with me. Well, God can be pleased with our good deeds and our obedience, but that's not what saves us. It's through Christ in Christ alone. So the question is not, are there few who will be saved, but will you be among the saved? That's what Jesus is trying to get them to see. That's the question that Jesus is trying to get this crowd to ask themselves. Will you be among the saved? Are you putting your faith in Jesus, the narrow door? So that's, who is the narrow door? Jesus. Well, secondly, let's look at who is outside of the house? Why are they outside the house? Why aren't they allowed into the house? Well, the short answer is because they did not enter through the narrow door. They did not recognize that Jesus was the Savior they needed, and they did not put their faith in Him. They put their faith in their heritage. 
They presumed that they were okay and they never considered that maybe they weren't. That their faith was misplaced. They didn't take Jesus' call over and over again that he made to them, his call to repentance and faith in him seriously because they thought they were okay. Jesus is desperately trying to get them to show that, to see that they are being presumptuous because presumption is blinding. Think about it. When you presume that something is true or you presume that something is taken care of, well, you don't think about it, right? You know, I don't need to pay attention to that. It's all taken care of. That's what those people were thinking. And Jesus is trying to jar them out of their complacency. Look at the end of verse 24. It's very jarring. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and not to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Well, that's about as harsh and stark as it could be. Jesus can't get any clearer than he does in verse 26. We ate and drank in your presence, they said, and you taught in our streets. See, Jesus is identifying himself clearly as the master of the house, the one who controls who comes in or who stays out. Even though they followed him around, even though they heard his teaching, they saw the miracles. They even ate meals with him. They never embraced him as their savior. They did not put their personal faith in Jesus. They were looking at themselves and their heritage. We're Israelites. We're okay. Right, Jesus? <laughs> he says, no, you're not okay. Many people go to church. They read the Bible. They participate in the Lord's Supper yet they don't have a saving relationship with Jesus. They put their faith in their performance, not in Jesus' finished work, not in His performance on the cross for our sins and rising from the grave. And one day they'll hear those woeful words, I don't know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. See, people who are presumptuous don't ask themselves the hard questions. They just assume that they're okay. And they never consider that maybe they're wrong. I don't want to be one of those people. And I don't want you to be one either. We should all take time to ask, ask ourselves the hard question. Why should I be sitting at the table, at, at God's table in the kingdom of God? If your answer begins with, because I, then you've got it wrong. Your answer should begin with, because Jesus. It's not because you've done anything. It's because of what Jesus has done. And what does your life look like? That's what Jesus has been challenging them with. The parable of the fig tree. Looking for fruit. Are you bearing the fruit of repentance and a life of faith in Jesus? Is the evidence there? 
And don't say, well, I'm, I'm a pretty good person and I read my Bible and I go to church. No, are, are you bearing the fruit of the Spirit, for example? Paul said the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. When he says that, he says the fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. The person of God should see evidence that he's growing in all these traits, not just one or the other. You know, some of us are just nice people. And, you know, kindness is not a real a problem for us. We're naturally kind. Some people are naturally patient, and some people are naturally gentle. And we can go through all the others. We do have those natural tendencies, but are you growing in all these things? That's what the Spirit does. He... He helps us to grow in love. We love God more and more, and we love others. We rejoice in the Lord, and we rejoice in spite of our difficult circumstances. Are you growing in that? Are you experiencing peace in your life? Peace with God, and are you being at peace with others? Are you a peacemaker? Are you growing in patience? Kindness, goodness, faithful. Are you more faithful? Are you growing in that? You see that exhibited in your life? Gentleness, self-control. Ooh, I don't like that one. Are you growing in that? Seeing, seeing yourself getting more self-controlled? These are the hard questions that we need to ask ourselves. Are we living by faith in Christ, the narrow door? Those who aren't are going to be on the outside looking in. We don't want to be presumptuous and assume things, but as Paul challenged the Corinthians, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. You know, hopefully you look there and you find it's true. And if not, good news is the door's still open. The door's still open. Well, let's look at those finally who, who are reclining at table in the kingdom of God. Well, we've already established who's going to be reclining at the table in the kingdom of God. It's those who enter through the narrow door, through faith in Jesus, not the ones who are depending on their own selves, their own heritage, their own lives, but on Christ's work. The ones who respond to Jesus' call for repentance and, from sin and faith in Him. Well, who will it be? It won't just be Israelites. Look at verse 29. People will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. In other words, Gentiles will be included. This is imagery from the Old Testament that Jesus picks up here. Gentiles will be included. That's good news for us because I think most everybody here is a Gentile. We can rejoice in this fact. That we can be included. It's not based on our, our race or our ethnicity or our nationality or any of those things. It's faith in Jesus. And the, and the Jews should have known this. The Israelites should have known this. Because when God first plucked Abraham out from his pagan background to call him to himself, what did he say? Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. The Jews of Jesus' day had forgotten that. That salvation was coming through them to the Gentiles, to the entire world. That was the promise given to their father Abraham. And by faith in Christ, we too can be children of Abraham and sing. Father Abraham had many sons. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. They should have known that. But see, Jesus gives them a stern warning in verse 28. There's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out, your face pressed up against the glass, and you're going to see your heroes. Your forefathers are there, Jesus says, and you're cast out. And then there's going to be all these people you hated who were in the, in the, at the table with these giants of the faith Rejoicing in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. There's going to be weeping, great grief over this, and even outrage, gnashing of teeth. You're going to be angry about it. They thought they were the chosen ones, and God said, no. The chosen ones are from all over the place, east, west, north, and south. When I was in college... I traveled to Scandinavia, Norway, and Sweden uh, with Athletes in Action, which is the sports ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ. Uh, a dozen or so of us track athletes from colleges around the country formed a team uh, to go and share the gospel at, at track meets and elsewhere. We were all from different backgrounds, different denominations, and so on our long travels through uh, Norway and Sweden, we had many opportunities to discuss the Bible, and other theological topics. And I remember one day the subject of election and predestination came up. And, of course, there were a lot of different opinions about that. And one objection, since we were there to share Christ with others, and it was very much on the hearts of, of all of us who, were, who, were, who would join in a, a, a team with this purpose of going and sharing the gospel, we were interested in evangelism. Well... Uh, many people said, well, you know, if that, that doctrine of predestination election just kills evangelism, if God is already chosen, then why are we even bothering with evangelism? If he's just sovereign over it all? I, of course, I, I didn't believe it at the time, but I, I believe it now. Well, that question came up, and, and everyone shared their opinion. But one of our leaders who always kind of, he was... He was uh, you know, really humble guy. He had a great response, and I'll never forget it. I'll never forget what he said. It made a deep impact on me. He said that instead of this doctrine that God has chosen people, instead of that killing evangelism for him, it actually filled him with the evangelistic zeal. It fueled his fire to share Christ with others because he says he doesn't know who the elect are. He says the next person I meet could be one of the elect. The next person I share Jesus with could be one of the elect. And it takes the onus off of him because he's just sharing the message of Jesus. And if, if God has put it in that heart of that person to, to, to respond appropriately, then that person is going to respond. And he said, the more that you share Jesus with people, the more that likely that one of them is going to be among the elect. 
And isn't that exciting? Elect are from every nation. Now as we think about who is going to be at the feast, a couple of things I want to apply here. First of all, when you remember our message is Christ, as we go out and share this message, the narrow door. People need to know about the narrow door. They need to know about Jesus Christ. That's how the people from east, west, north, and south are going to come into the kingdom. So Christ is our message. We need never forget that. We're not telling people to just do better. We're not telling people to just be churchgoers. We're telling people to embrace Christ as their Savior. Our message is Christ. And we don't discriminate in our evangelism. Go to every tongue and tribe and nation, anyone. See, this changes the way we should view people. We should look at everybody around us and say, you know, that's a potential person that I'm going to be sitting down by in the kingdom at the table, the feast of the Lord, the marriage supper of the Lamb. That person that I'm living next to, or the person I see at the gas station, the person anywhere, we could be together there in the kingdom. It's, you know, it would change the way we live in this world as the church, and especially in the racial tension that we have now. Instead of seeing people as black or white, we can say, you know, that person is potentially a resident of the kingdom with me. Wouldn't that change the, the way that people perceive the church if we went about things that way? I'm not an expert on race relations, and I don't have all the answers to the troubles that we have, but I know that's one way. That's one thing that we can do is to have a different attitude towards people. So we think about the people of God and who's in and who's out. It's not just white people. It's not just Israelites. It's everybody, people from every tongue, tribe, and nation, from east, west, north, and south. And that should fuel our love and our desire to share Christ with all people. How can we as a church be more welcoming to people of, of all ethnicities, of all backgrounds, to share Christ, the narrow door, with them? Well, the good news we have, the door is open. I said some challenging things this morning about examining ourselves and are we in the faith. Just remember that. If you don't know, the door is open. Christ is there, ready to be believed in, trusted. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone, anyone. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we cry out to you this morning. We pray that you would help us to see life through this lens. To look at the people around us through this lens. To, to think about our lives through this lens. That we must strive to continue to live by faith in Jesus our Savior. Help us to do so, Lord. Grant us faith. Grant us repentance from our sins. Especially those besetting sins that we have in our personal lives those sins that we have culturally, ethnically. Lord, we pray that our story would be more entwined with your story of where this world is going. And Lord, we pray that any of us here today or listening to this, this broadcast don't know where they are or not sure of their salvation, 
Lord, we pray that you would move them to cry out to you for salvation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.